Okay, uh, again, I want to thank Becca and Fred for that awesome intro music. I, I love that song. That's really, really good work. Uh, joined here, we're at UAA, which is, which is fitting, because I'm here with Professor Paul Johnson. Hello, Professor. Hey, hello. <clears throat> and we go, we go back a little bit. You were my economics professor back in 2007, 6, 7, 8, uh, when I was studying here at UAA. Yep. Further, further long ago than I like to remember, but yeah. This was my first time we met you where it was the uh, intro to economics. What's that first Principles class? of Princ- economics. Principles of economics. Principles and, of economics. And I always remember thinking that guy's accent is not American and you're Australian. That's right. And you, But you've been at UAA since... 1989. So a long time. And you're the former chair of the economics department. And yes. you've been teaching economics here for a long time. And that's yes. why I want to sit down and talk with you. I want to talk a little bit about your history um, as an economist some of the stuff you've you've done, and then I want to go into the interesting conundrum right now with China. Sure, because sure chi- China is, I, th- I think, Alaska's biggest trading partner, largest yes. trading partner. Yes, for and, for some time now. And you've spent time in China recently. Right? Yes, I was there a month ago, actually. I've been there pretty pretty often. So, Australia, and as you know, actually, you were one of the people I spoke with before I spent a year in Australia, <clears throat> and you gave me the, the recommendation to do that. But uh, Aussie born... Yes. But you've been here in the U.S. for almost, what, 30 years? Yes. I I did a graduate degree here in upstate New York, in Rochester, New York, actually. So uh, I was four years there, and I was two years in Canada, one year in Singapore, and I did a big loop around through Australia, worked in Australia, and then finally ended up here. So this has been the best place. So you're one of those economists. Some people get an economics degree, and they go right into teaching, uh, or some go into analysis, but you worked for the Australian Treasury Department. Yes. After after my grad degree, I went to work for the Australian Treasury in the capital city of Canberra. Can- Can- Canberra. I-, I learned when I was there, it's Canberra. 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 Yeah. It's not Canberra. No. They don't like, they don't like that. Canberra. When you yeah. say Canberra. That's I actually spent about a mo- uh, less than a month there. Yes. Interesting. Right. Very interesting city. The way it's laid out, it's, it's built, you know, to... Planned. I guess the, uh, the, the thing I heard was that they were fighting between Mel- Melbourne and Sydney. Yes. And they kind of said, all right, well, we'll settle on some place in the middle. Also, it's, it's inland, so in case of yes. an invasion. Yes, in case they, they were worried about the Russian warships firing um, artillery. So they said, well, we need to put it like 200 miles inland and approximately halfway between Sydney and Melbourne So because these rival cities each wanted to be the capital. So that's why it ended up in the middle of nowhere, in the sort of the sheep pasture. Kind of like Juno. <laughs> kind of like Juno, a little bit like Juno. It's a compromise candidate. So yeah. when you were, uh, one thing I remember when we, we were, um, when I met you, you kind of yeah. became in some ways a mentor. We kept in touch over the years. Right. We've, we've always talked. And one of the stories you told me um, was when you were at the Treasury, they, they asked you to do some kind of analysis for, yes. a, for an airport in Sydney, right? Yes. A, run, a runway in Sydney. Yes. Uh, it was very contentious. They were going, there was a proposal to add a third runway to Sydney Airport because of all the increase in traffic. And it was very contentious because the people in the neighborhood didn't want a third runway, of course. Um, so the Treasury was asked to do a little report doing a cost-benefit analysis. This report would then go to the treasurer, who would sit in cabinet and argue for or against the airport. 
So I was a junior person and I was given the job of cost-benefit analysis of a multi-billion dollar project. And I never had any training in cost-benefit analysis, but I'm there, so I, I did it. I think it's important to note you're, you're, you're a very, uh, describe, describe you as a very libertarian kind of economist. I'm a pragmatic libertarian. Pragmatic libertarian. I'm the pragmatic flavor. Libertarian works. That's mm-hmm. my case and for this it. is this is just the context of the story this is why one time i was asking you about government i think government efficiency or what happens right. in government so you did this report yes and you put together numbers so back then remember it's way before there was any internet okay or before into really you could get information pre-google and all of that so you actually had to kind of find in my case newspapers and scrounge whatever scraps of information i could find Put them together, and for cost-benefit analysis, you need an interest rate because you're discounting the future. Everything has to be adjusted for rates of interest. And I had no clue what the best rate of interest to use would be, so I just opened the Australian Financial Review for that day and picked the prime rate that was right there (laughs) and put that in my report. Sounds good good to me. It went all up the chain of command. Uh, They corrected my grammar a little bit, but all the, the numbers went through. As far as I know, it went to cabinet and helped make the case for the airport because I just felt airport sounds like a good idea. So I'll make, I'll not make, but I'll be happy if the numbers come out positive. I, I think the the way this story came up, we were talking one time, and and you you said one of the things you said that's interesting is a lot of people think the government is benevolent and they have all the answers and they have yeah. these very smart people. Yes, doing exactly. all. And you know, in this case, you were just some junior. Yes. That's and this right. Report was used to for the recommendation of a new of a billion dollar runway. Yes, exactly. And that's how these things get decided. That's the 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 way I phrase it is like you put. I say people. I think subconsciously they think that somewhere in Washington, say in a basement in a government building, is a secret room like the CIA or NSA with all these really smart people who have this secret economic knowledge that no one else has. (laughs) And they're putting together sort of these plans. And when it's announced that the government forecasts that growth would be X percent over the next year, it's like, wow, okay, this is really seriously uh, important. It's just some, they don't know the future any more than anyone else does when it comes to economics. And it, is there's no there there. That's what I'm saying. And the relevance to libertarianism is that you want decisions to be made at the level where people actually have information but also have skin in the game. They have a stake in it. And making huge economic decisions in Washington where people are actually removed, they, they, they don't have an incentive to get it right, particularly, and they don't have any more information than anyone else. And this is why I think you can evidence in a lot of boondoggles that happen all Absolutely. the time. Projects that go over budget or that never happen, but the money is spent on. It's other people's money, so. And you, yeah. you, 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 one of the best classes I took with you was the, uh, um, we did the experiments. I guess yes. it was experimental economics, and you've done a lot of experimental, like we're actually. Economics. People yeah, do experiments, experiments in a class where a controlled setting yes and and the results are oftentimes very very predictable right Uh, it is predictable when you set the experiment up and it's a straightforward like market analysis you know market deal Mm -hmm. you've got buyers and sellers and they're trading in a situation like that it's very interesting because often our 
sort of free market theories work, but sometimes they don't. And one of the, I remember I was trying to and collude. I was one of the uh-huh. experiments I was trying to collude with one of the other participants. It's not that easy. I think I got, I think, That's I think right. it wasn't as easy as I thought because right. they, they wanted to win too. Right. And, and, and sometimes a theory that predicts that you'll just get a monopoly, it turns out that's not right. Um, sometimes we find with financial markets, financial markets are not as efficient and, and reliable as we used to think they were. And, mm-hmm. you can, and that's been shown in experiments long before the crash. So like our esteemed visiting economics professor, Vernon Smith, uh, 25 years ago, he and some colleagues created artificial asset markets and had people trade for hundreds of dollars, stakes, and including professional traders, and they were able to generate bubbles and booms and busts without having to cheat or cause there to be some unknown information. The subjects knew everything. They had full information, except they couldn't predict the future. And well, they one speculated. Of those, one, of the, one of those we did, it was, I think it was the bubble experiment. The bubble experiment. And, there, and there, there, there was a bubble. There was a bubble, and it crashed. And ab- absolutely, and we can reproduce that as many times as we want. So some of the other stuff you've, you've kind of... I, is it fair to say you focus more on macro? I'm the beha- I'm the beha- macro economist. Beha- behave, behavior. That's, that's, behavior. That's yeah. my style because the micro stuff style. is a little bit too too numbery for me. I don't really. I've never. I'm 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 the one in the department who likes macro big, stuff. Big the picture. Big, 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 big picture. Big picture guy. Big picture guy. Th- Thirty thousand foot. Level. That's right. Thirty thousand foot foot level. That's so the other, the other quick story I remember you told me was you were maybe it was a treasury or you were yeah. somewhere in the government and yeah. you you put together some report yeah didn't didn't your boss really make it clear to you how nice it- how nice it needed to be well i was actually be, putting together reports like that's what you do when you first start out and this deputy assistant secretary he's like a number 3 or 4 guy an older guy much in older australia guy in australia came to me and sort of metaphorically put his arm around my shoulder and said, young Paul, you know, you're here. That's great. You need to learn the ropes. You need to learn the important things like how to, when you, you staple it, how to put the staple in the right way. You need to do it 45 degree, not, you know, 90 degree, one way or the other. It's got to be 45. And I thought he was joking at the time. And later <laughs> I found out he was dead serious. He was dead serious. How your report looks is as important as what you put in it because nobody above you reading it has a clue about whether the facts are right or wrong, so they go by how it looks. The, the moment you realize... It's a life lesson. The moment you realized it was... He wasn't joking, what, what were you... That's what, when I three, started to plan to leave government. <laughs> <laughs> that, was your, that was your exit. <laughs> that was my exit cue. That was like, you know what? I could be spending the next 40 years of my life making sure my memos look nice and staples go in the right way. Or, and I didn't see myself the rest of my life doing that. And sitting in meetings, sitting in an office, writing reports, and being on committees. And that's basically how you rise up. If you're in one of those central agencies, i got to say, it's, it depends. If you're in the diplomatic service, then maybe you'll be posted to, I don't know, Nicaragua or somewhere. You know, your life won't be boring. but Have some fun. You'll, 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 you won't be bored there, but... Um, for this kind of job as an economist, I didn't want to do it. And I was in the Australian Central Bank too, and sort of the similar thing. Um, I wasn't there that long, but I decided I didn't, don't like sitting behind a desk from eight till five every day. Yeah, I think some some people like that. I'm not one of those people either, right. so I, I can relate. 
So you came to Alaska in 89. Yes. Just quickly, how, I, I think you've told me this before, but why did you come to it? I was recruited because I met a professor from UAA when I was in Singapore for a year, teaching in a university in Singapore. And I talked about how I like international economics, international stuff. And he said at that time, UAA was setting up a center for international business in the business school. And they were looking for faculty to come and teach but also work on international business issues. And he recommended me, and I applied, and I so I got an offer to come to Alaska. So when you first got offered this or yeah. made aware of this, were you, in your mind, like Alaska? Wow, because the 80s, you probably right. had much, much less information about what Alaska is. Like most back. people, I really had no clue, except I'd studied in upstate New York, so I understood about snow and all of that stuff. But that's an interesting story because in, in the southern side of Lake Ontario, Rochester, New York, actually, I was a student. And one time some other student brought their cousin to visit. And this cousin uh, is from, was from Alaska. Now, Rochester in winter, we get this lake effect snow. So it can be a couple of feet and it can be cold. But everyone there is like, wow, from Alaska, that's that's, that's, that's the real deal. Even even today, I've traveled. As yeah. you know, I've been many countries, and yeah. even today, it's I think a lot more known about from TV. Yes. And but still, it's like oh, Alaska. That's right. They get they get pretty pretty excited. Pretty excited. So and that's uh, that's actually an advantage we have in Alaska. Oh, yeah. And I came here because of that. I was interviewed and I got offered the job. You came eighty nine. Eighty was it? I came in eighty nine. Pre Exxon Valdez or after Exxon? It was just after I think around then that time. Around that time, it was. The the great the big recession the crash had already happened and the Alaska uh, the the, 80, the mid eighties yeah, yeah that one was and, and and I came just and my wife and I came just when things were had bottomed bottomed out and starting to go up as it turned out you buy, you buy a house we bought a house probably got a good deal huh? we got a great deal <laughs> are you still on the same one or uh, uh we moved since then but again with the timing is really good we learned something about and actually there's a little bit there's optimism in a sense, if you think of it that way, because now we're in kind of a trough. It's not like as bad as before, but still... The price of oil has gone up. Price of oil has gone up, and price of things is still pretty um, reasonable here, and you've got to wonder at what point the sort of tech hipster people, having been priced out of Seattle and Portland and, of course, San Francisco, Francisco, and now they're in Texas. I just had a friend move down there, and he has a good job, right? makes good money, Yeah, but he had to buy... The house he bought was not very big. I'm trying to think of the square... A couple... I mean, 1,500 square... It's not not very big, and he... Before he got that, he tried to buy similar type houses, you know, for over a million dollars. Right, right. And you put an offer in, and then then two more offers come in, 20,000 or 50,000 above your... So he, he got the house, and I think he just got like an interest only with a oh, five-year yeah, arm, okay. just assuming that he'll be there maybe five years, and right. it'll, it'll, it'll go up, and you can, you can sell it, because uh, right. you got people, they, they say right now, I was reading that if you're making over, if you're making 100 grand, you're considered low income, basically, yes. in, in, yeah. in, in San Francisco, right? right? And yes. People can't afford to right. live there anymore who are making good money. And the quality of life is not that great. I mean, their, their public transport is horrible. Um, I've been to Chinatown and I sort of have some, the Chinatown is, and I know that's politically incorrect to call it Chinatown, no, Chinatown but my town. wife's Chinese, so, you, 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 so what? I don't <laughs> care. Okay. All right. I've got to get out of jail free card here. Um, 
And it's okay, but it isn't the big deal, spectacular, special place it was well, like think, 40 years ago. I think a lot of people, the, the conundrum is, or the catch-22 is, people wanted to go there because right. of the culture. Yeah. But now because it's so unaffordable, right. all the original reasons for the culture are gone. Away. Are gone or they're knocking yeah. buildings down and they're move, you know, people are buying these, right. gentrif- gentrifying the whole, the whole area. The whole place. And I saw a story today about Seattle. Same thing is going on. The, the long run, long, lifelong Seattleites are grumbling. They're saying they're driving out the kind of funky culture that they, they, they're kind of the tech hipsters, and that's what they call them, uh, mm-hmm. are, are kind of bidding and buying and moving in, and they're gradually um, crowded, crowding out. A lot, of, a lot of Whole Foods stores open. Whole Foods stores. So you think maybe we're now in a similar place where you came when you were in, in the I late I think it could 80s? be. I think it could be because if people want beautiful surroundings, they want affordable housing, and uh, you have a good airport so people can get out and travel and you have good internet, um, we would perhaps be considered for some startup places. And we're not the only ones. Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. that would be a logical place. But there are... Other places in Texas are becoming expensive and difficult, like I was talking to someone in Austin, for example, um, that's booming, a lot of tech, but the traffic infrastructure has not been improved very much. So they still, they have traffic problems now, which they didn't used to have. So maybe we'll get some of that tech stuff. Well, also we we might be getting, what I want to talk about next is you've done a lot of work with uh, China. You've you've gone to China. There's been... Some visiting uh, yes. groups, Chinese delegates. Both, both back and forth, yeah. So what, what's kind of, I want to talk about China as it relates to Alaska yes. and then China as it relates to the, to the country with its sure. trade. Because you, 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 the guy, you're the, one thing you told me, you said, and I'll forget this, when two people willingly trade, right. no matter how good or bad they are at producing something, they're right. both better off. Yes, because like when, we can specialize. When you jo- start, jointly, we can be more productive. When you start putting up barriers, you cause both are problems off. for... Everybody who's involved. Yeah. So, okay, so the Alaska-China connection, we, we send a lot of stuff to China. Yes. Fish. Fish especially. And some minerals. So, yes. um, this Confucius Institute is rather yes. new here at university? It's been here like a bit over 10 years. But Okay, well, I guess it's really growing, because now they have that, a couple of years ago, they, they put the, maybe it was longer than that, but they have the office where the... The Russian Center, American Russian Center used to be. Yes, I, I was involved with the American Russian Center. I was here during the, that Russian period when there was this Russian euphoria and we ran programs in Russia. That was an interesting time. Back then, you could people would have, from here, going to visit our offices in Russia would have, take all this cash with them because you could write a check or use a credit mm-hmm. card. And it was looking... Very promising, and then everything turned around with sort of politics in Russia, and the ruble fell in value. So well, there was those friendship flights sad. with Alaska Airlines. Friendship flights, yep. And uh, yeah, I think we've we had the exchange program. The university, we I did. think it still exists, but for a long time, from the far east of Russia, there was thirty plus students. new students every yeah. year, and a lot of them are still here. Um, but but now I think it's fair to say it's it's really focused more towards China. Yes, we than, the focus has switched to China. So what what have Kind of what have you done over there, and, and what's the? Isn't there some kind of relationship we have now, or you have we now do. with one of the universities in, in China? We do with two universities. In fact, we have a, some 
agreements where students there can come here to study and get a, a degree from UAA plus a degree from their home university in Similar China. Similar to the, the Russian program. Similar the to the Russian program. And we might have some more agreements like that with Chinese universities in Harbin, for example. Actually, it's just not, not, I guess, not public yet, but we can, we'll say it. So yeah. Harbin, um, I'm on the Anchorage Sister Cities Commission, and Harbin has um, been added as a sister city to Anchorage. Yes. It, used, it used to be in the past, but I guess it was never made official, official with the Chinese, and it's very right. top-down over there. So I think it sounds like it came, came from the top, because, you know, President Xi was here last year. Yes. I'm not sure where it came from, but we're going to be adding Harbin as a sister city yes. for Anchorage, and it's going to be kind of rolled out officially yes. at some point, and that's um, a pretty strong connection. And I also heard from third parties that will have a direct air flight to Harbin within a year. And then also they're talking about direct flights to Shanghai, right? I, that one I don't know. That one I don't know. If it was to direct to Shanghai, what would happen is our tourist industry would just boom. Well, that was on that recent trip the governor took to China with that business delegation. Right. Uh, one, of the issue, one of the topics being discussed was direct, direct flights to, uh, to Shanghai. If we get direct flights to Shanghai or even to Harbin, we'll get many more tourists um, from China which will have spin-off benefits for the economy here. You have to be a little careful because typically they'll, they'll come on tours that are like the cruise ships. They're organized by a company in China. It's um, conducted here with Chinese interpreter and so forth. Still, even though, even though it's not 100% Alaskan run, it's still a lot of visitors, and visitors can later encourage their friends to come, they can encourage, if they're business people, they can sometimes spot opportunities here while they're being tourists. Mm -hmm. So it can only be a good thing. I think the interesting comparison, uh, so I, you know, I spent almost yeah. a year in Australia, and there's a lot of Chinese in Australia. Oh, yes. A lot of Chinese. And when yes. they, from what I understand and, and you know, from being there learning that in the 90s when this really started, because before it was hard to get property and yes. buy property, people, there was a bit of xenophobia about it. Yes. And now it's 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 like... No one really, the yes. Chinese are just kind of part of the culture there and part of the, and yes. they invest a lot of money and they yes. spend money. And I know some people I met that have shops. I mean, some of these Chinese yes. tourists come from some Shanghai or Beijing and yes. they'll spend, you know, in a week, they'll spend a hundred grand on shopping. Oh, yes. Watches and purses oh, They're and shoppers like crazy because they know they're getting genuine brands. So the brand, even if it's an American brand, um, it's, they buy it at a store in Australia or Anchorage for that matter. They know it's the real deal, and they will buy for their friends. They will buy for their relatives. Um, so retail will. So benefit. what do you, what do you think about the? I'd say there's a general apprehension in Alaska, probably nationally, right? Um, with the Chinese, right? Do you think that's found, founded? I, I know there's some stuff with um, intellectual property, absolutely, and, and there's yep. some issues with the, the Chinese government, kind of governmental system, but. I mean, in my mind, I think it's great when you're trading and talking and having... Right. But do you think some of the apprehension or maybe xenophobia is, is founded or is it well, just... Well, I, I guess I have to go to the big picture here. The big, big picture. Big picture guy. Big picture guy. That's what I'm paid the big bucks for. <laughs> <laughs> and since I can never be proven wrong, it's, it's not a bad job. Um, that if you look at the rest of this century... Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and claim to to see a sort of coherent plan in our president's madness. That's a that's a big limb. That's a big Actually, limb. That's a very thin 
long limb. That's a long limb. I'm going to go out on it. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stay behind. Is that one thing that he does sort of maybe correctly perceive is that the rest of the 20th century is going to, history is going to return to the new normal and then the sort of the old normal. And the old normal for most of human history is that international politics and economics is usually dominated by a few very big countries. Now, that wasn't really so true after World War II because the U.S. was the only really strong power in the West left. So, the and the U.S. decided to rebuild the West, so there was sort of a more collaboration. But the future of the century will be a few big superpowers will dominate politics and that's a reality to deal with this is kind of china russia china russia the u.s and i'll make my prediction is that you'll see president trump be very nice to india well india that's because a, they're 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 gonna they're gonna overtake china in population we you know i read the economist and i, I follow yeah. indian there's a lot going on in india right now yes. with uh, modi and this, this party yes. and it's, it's, it's actually gone to a very um anti anti-muslim uh, the, the pro-Hindu parties are growing a lot, and there's some issues. It doesn't get talked about as much yes. the, the India, but yeah, they're they're over a billion people. Over a billion they, people. They, they want like China. They want cars. They want right. They want jobs. A lot of potential. And you, there's you know, no language problem, <laughs> so that's huge. You're, you're you're right. We don't we don't hear very much about India, and I wonder why do you think that is? Um, I think because they haven't really been perceived to have broken through that sort of barrier, and also they. Strange to say, they've never been an enemy of the United States. And you naturally focus more attention on mm-hmm. historical Good. rivals and or enemies or places that were involved in, greatly in World War II. Um, in India, wasn't any of those things. It's And it's just, it at the moment, just, it hasn't been fully embraced as an important country I just, I just saw but it will be a few weeks ago on vice news they they looked at these five indian entrepreneurs that were right. work, you know guys that were working in tech and living in the united states right and they'd followed them all five of these guys moved back to india yep to to yep. work and to to take their business yep. and they're talking about the kind of growth of the indian economy yes and they asked them they sat down with them and and they um basically they said there was two reasons they they went back. One was the kind of the opportunities in India and they want to go yep. be, be a part of the growth. And two, they felt not as welcome in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, with what's going on right now, they right. just didn't feel like they were, were, um, that's what they said. And, but, but the bigger reason they said was they're, they're like, they've started to open these call centers in India yep. for Indians. Yes. Whereas uh. before we think call center, we, we call and it's an Indian person, but now they're, they're focusing on the Indian market, the Indian right. economy. I think that's going to be a big story. I think you're right. That's 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 maybe maybe the right. I think the Economist did a while back, you know, a picture of Modi, and it was like yeah. the future of the future of India. It's going to be a big story, and and so to back to our president, the one coherent sort of thing connecting all of, all of what he's been doing is he thinks that the United States, China, Russia, and maybe at some point India will pretty much set the agenda for the rest of the world and therefore it's a reality it's just a reality it's just a reality there's no point pointing fingers and lecturing and 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 sort of 
it, they just it's like the moon you might like the moon or not might the might not like the moon or the way the moon is run runs its affairs but it's there and there's nothing mm-hmm. that we can do about it so what do you think about europe yeah. i mean europe seems to be fragmenting europe seems to be fragmenting they had the big dreams of becoming almost like um a united states and europe and i guess their historical characteristics and history and differences it sort of doesn't work out they messed up on some problems like immigration illegal immigration they didn't really think hard about some of them didn't do it the open borders i i was visiting europe and drove past what was called the jungle at calais where the dover the 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 ferry goes between france and england at Mm -hmm. the time there was this huge camp of immigrants from or refugees from africa there and I went past it. It was big. And then I came back a week later and the French police were putting up a, bar- a sort of metal barriers along it because they were saying some of those guys would try to get on the underneath of trucks or lorries, as the English call them. And those trucks would go on the ferry and go on the other side. That's how desperate they were. Um, and... I'm not going to say what the solution is or that there is a solution even, but whatever it is, the British and many of the other Europeans did not agree on what to do. Uh, and I think the so, idea of open borders was was in some ways good for goods and, and travel and, and, and movement, right. but I don't think... I mean, I remember going there on my first trip in 06, went to Europe and flew right. to Germany, and I spent all this time in Austria and Eastern right. Europe, and... I just remember feeling very kind of sad when I crossed right. the border. Nobody, right. I wouldn't get a stamp. Right. But back then there wasn't this big, really huge immigration no. put issue. So it, it was, it was in some ways much easier for everybody. Yes. But now once you, you know, once you get into Europe, once you get into one of the EU countries, you can move around freely. Yes. And it's very, very hard to uh, track right. and ma- regulate immigration. Yeah. And, and now because of September 11. People are way more, right, more worried than they were before. Before it was just an economic issue, and now it's. Uh, and the paradox is the Western countries that have the tightest control on immigration, so that's like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, Singapore. <laughs> um, those are also the ones that have high levels of immigration because well, people I, are comfortable. They 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 feel confident that the the there's a filter. Well, you mentioned Australia and, and Canada. And- I looked. I looked pretty seriously at the Australia yeah. system, and it's just such a good. You know, one, one of the things Trump said that I that I, I kind of agreed with, and he said so many things you don't ever know what he's right. what he's saying. But the uh, merit based system. Yeah. And and I, I can't even believe this is con- controversial. I mean, China or um, Australia does this. Canada, Canada. does this. You know, education, lang- English language skills. Right. Uh, work experience, age, right. all of these things factor into a right formula. And if you have enough points, points. they they come on come on in. And if you don't, you don't. And it seems to be a very reasonable. I mean, we, I guess we, in some ways, have merit if you can find a job, but right. it's it's much more difficult and, yeah. and har- harder to. It's, it's legal based. It's really strange. You need to, because I've been through it. You need to sort of get the equivalent of a lawyer right. to make a case for you. I mean, it's a great job but creation for the legal profession. Even Australia, in some ways, is starting to crack down. And when I was there, I actually they changed some of the rules, and they were saying the the. Prime Minister Turn- Turnbull was, right. I'll never forget this, because it came out and it interfered with the visa I was trying to maybe get, and it was Australia first. And yeah. I said, I wonder, I wonder where he heard that. That was that is kind of strange, because there's no... 
refu- there's no problem in controlling for Australia. So that sounded to me like politics. <laughs> Pure, pretty much politics. Remember when uh, the... Rather than national remember interest. Remember Australia was big in the news when they said that... Uh. Trump hung up on Turnbull, remember? Yeah, and then... And then he's like, who's Malcolm Turnbull? That's right. In America, because we don't really... But Australia, they're... Um, I didn't even realize this. They've been our biggest ally in, 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 in fighting wars since Vietnam as far as number of troops they've sent. Yeah, New Zealand too, well, i got to say. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Anzac. I mean, yeah. going, going back to the... Yeah, it goes back to World War Two. In some sense, everything... World War One, even. The, the, or even World War One, But actually, World War Two. everything goes back to World War Two, and it's, it's kind of, one way or another. So uh, that's when people chose their sides, and mm-hmm. everything we see today is still a result of World War II. Well, uh, last thing I want to discuss, just getting yeah. back to China and, and um, economics. Yeah. So all these, you know, I think a lot of people hear about a trade war right. and tariffs. Could you maybe talk a little bit about what exactly a tariff, how a tariff works, and, and, and how the, sure. the opposing country reciprocates tariffs? Well, a tariff is, is, is essence is you're importing something, you're importing a car, and the government of the importing country slaps a tax on it. So it, and, it, and that now that tax, it depends on who will pay really the burden. It's, it could be split between the exporting country and the importing country. It could all go to the importing country. It depends on sort of bargaining power. But however you slice it, fewer things will be imported because it, it's more costly it, for it the always, buyer. No matter who gets the money or pay. It right. always is it's transferred to the to the buyer to the, the consumer um it's the one way or another the consumers will pay it may not be directly but indirectly it will be so when when they talk about this trade deficit, I think some people might think if we're running a half a billion you know half a trillion dollar trade deficit, I think some folks might think there's some account right with five hundred billion dollars in it right and this is not the case it means we're we're export. We're importing right five hundred billion dollars more than we're right. exporting right, and this has to do with I guess our need for foreign in stuff. this case China, yeah, Chinese stuff. or products. So what 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 does a trade deficit? What impact does that have on on both economies? And how do uh, currencies play into this? Play. Okay, well the Big first question. first thing Big about question. deficits and surpluses in trade is that a bilateral trade deficit doesn't mean anything. If we import more from China than they import from us, it doesn't matter if we're exporting more to Germany in the other way. It's sort of like when you go to the gas station or I go to the gas station, we're running a trade deficit with the gas station because we're only we're buying from them. We're not working there or earning anything from them. When we go to the supermarket, we run a trade deficit with the supermarket. And that's okay because we're running a surplus somewhere else, presumably at our job. Uh, we're selling labor to our employer and they're paying us. So the only thing that matters is your surplus or deficit with the rest of the world as a whole. And over the long run, it probably cancels out. Now, maybe you could worry that there's a deficit with the rest of the world, but if there is, it's not because of a particular country. It's probably because Americans are either investing too much abroad or they're consuming too much. But that's not the fault of a particular country. What about what about when you look at particular countries? What about the, what about the currency? Oftentimes comes up. Well, the currency helps bring things into balance because if the U.S. is running a big deficit with the rest of the world in trade, what will tend to happen is our currency will fall in value. That will make our goods cheaper for other countries to buy. So there is a natural tendency towards some balance. 
because if you let currencies adjust. What about when, when Trump or other people talk about you know, Chinese are currency manipulators? Well, is that, is that just does that, that mean anything or is that just a nice soundbite? It sort of doesn't mean anything because you can play around with your currency all you like, but at the end of the day, it's the value the other side gets. And if they manipulate by making it easier to buy Chinese currency, then you're saying they're making it easier and cheaper for us to buy their goods. So, okay, so someone selling me stuff is making it cheaper for me to buy their stuff. Should I be unhappy about that? Amazon runs a sale and they offer their stuff at a lower price. Do people feel hurt by that? It doesn't make sense. They get excited. They get excited. They buy more. Um, so, but that kind of that kind of thing is going away because China is is letting its currency float because it ends up worse off if it keeps selling so, stuff cheaply to the rest of the world. So, based on what the university is doing and what you're doing and, and going to China, and yeah, you're you're pretty, I'd say, pretty uh, bullish on. I'm, I'm pretty and, bullish on China, and I'm bullish both on the economic sense because they're going to be net customers for us when it comes to China. Chinese tourists, Chinese buy our fish. They process it, and they sell it back to the rest of the U.S. Um, but that, for us, whether we sell it to Seattle for processing or sell it to the Chinese for processing, it's all the I same. Guess, I guess the, the big one, the big question that we're all wondering, and uh, it's coming up, I guess, that deal from last year, the Chinese gas deal that might, yeah. if it happens— they have to make some announcement if they're going to go forward by December. Right. That that'll be if that goes down. That'll be the big kind of um, that would connecting be a big us to deal. Them. I would normally say the chance is zero because our gas is relatively expensive. The only reason there's maybe a ten percent chance um, is because of strategic reasons. The Chinese Supply. have a deal for a huge pipeline for gas to Russia, and they're building it right now. I know, but, I know but what if that. they got upset, the Russians got upset and said, oh, we're just going to cut your gas supply. If I were China, I would want multiple sources for strategic reasons, even if it cost me more to get it from Alaska. I'd want to have a source from Alaska. I'd want it from Canada. I'd want it from uh, well, the South big, China Sea. Big gas field everywhere. in Indonesia. In, Indonesia, Indonesia there's a lot of gas there. Big, 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 big LNG project in Australia, actually. Absolutely. And, and they're big demanders, but they'll want multiple suppliers. So there's a, a positive chance, but we'll see because it's one thing to you got, you got, sign up. You got to get over there and talk to your people and push push the deal. Got to push the deal. <laughs> you got to bring more Chinese here and it might happen. Maybe they'll invest. But if they don't invest in gas, there's still lots of things for investment. And um, I got to put in, there's a little bit of sort of worry on politics and trade with China, like everywhere else. And the solution is to address the specific problem. So like on technology, technology being taken from the U.S. That's a specific, narrow problem that could be looked at and complained about, well, there, there was but a Wall, not a broad there, trade war. There was a Wall Street Journal article about that yeah. recently that talked about this needs to be dealt with as its own problem. Yes, exactly. It, does not have to, it should not affect every other thing that's yes. happening trade-wise. Absolutely. With, so could, a I, trade war is like nuclear war. You can't predict where the radioactivity will end up. What, what, what Trump said, you can win a trade war. Right? Yeah, he said it himself. You cannot win. <laughs> As so. an economist, when you heard that, what, 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 was okay. your, what was your first thought? Okay, my thought is you cannot predict what 
our president will say, and you cannot try to figure the logic of everything <laughs> he says. You can only go back and try to figure you can, out you can be, you can, general themes that seem to or, be consistent. Or you can watch and be entertained. And you or, can or be maybe, watched and entertained. Maybe scared. Huh? Well, my colleague made a good analogy, and this is a purely political thing. He made the analogy that Trump is a sort of accidental political genius because he keeps doing random things. And if and it's like a guy with a laser pointer flipping it around and the Democrats are like a cat jumping after the laser no, that's pointer. A good, that's a good... and, and they're going nuts because he's so random. If you're random, you cannot be predicted and they cannot help and then, themselves. And then there, there is a lot of things, you know, I think probably in some ways Alaska might be the biggest uh, benef- beneficiary of, of Trump because some of our people that have gone to the Interior Department. Yes, got, absolutely. You know, the Anwar thing happening. <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, there's all these kind of things that happen in the background while the, la- the laser is over here. That's right. And then something's happening over there that nobody's watching. And or... people look over somewhere else. Yes. Right. They, 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 will, they will flip their attention somewhere else. Well, and so we, we will be the sort of accidental beneficiaries. Well, I want to thank you for doing, doing the podcast, Professor Johnson. If somebody is coming to UA or going to UA, they yes. can take... You're teaching many economics classes, economics classes all the Absolutely. time, right? Absolutely, I am, and I got colleagues who are very good at what they do. Uh, they're the microeconomists. That's why I didn't talk about microeconomists. And we got some really good young is, people. Is uh, the libertarian well, guy? St- st- I met him years ago. He's moved on. He's What's moved it? down to Chapman University, Kyle Hampton. Kyle Hampton. I to remember, work with we, we uh, had, uh, Vernon Smith. We had lunch. Remember that about two or three years ago at Moose's Tooth with Moose's Tooth with, with Kyle. He was so, he was real libertarian. He's a real libertarian. There's still a few of us left here. So he's he's, a, he's at UAA. A... There's still a few here and there, and um, we're still sort of doing the libertarian thing in our classrooms. And fortunately, uh, we haven't been called on it yet or suppressed. And uh, that's nice. That's an enjoyable part of the job. And it's great because this is something really new for most students. They're like, I've never heard someone challenge the consensus before. Yeah, I, I got to say, I want to thank you again for doing this. And if you're listening and, and you're inter- interested in economics or you're, if you have any, your kids are going to UA, take, take uh, one of Professor Johnson's uh, economics classes because you learn a lot and you present this stuff in a way that, I mean, going back to our first, my first class with you, I, I never... Uh, always made me think and, and it's made me in a lot of ways shape kind of my ideas on these things so well, I want to thank you thank you for um, doing the podcast and thanks for listening and if you're um, if you want to do a podcast with me or you have an idea of somebody I should talk to let me know because uh, it's, it's my it's my show and I can I can do it I can do whatever I want you're the boss so, you awesome all right we'll uh, talk to you guys next time thanks again professor Johnson thank you Landline.